need to share an experience with you. We, uh, James and Jared and I were at a conference this last week in Wichita, Kansas. And we got to the airport. We had to be at the airport at like five yesterday morning. We got to the airport yesterday morning. We, I locked the rental car. I dropped the key in the box because they weren't open yet. And I went in to pull out my phone to open my boarding pass. And my phone was in the rental car. So, <laughs> so I actually, listen to how old school I got lunch yesterday. I went to Lonzo's for lunch yesterday. And I actually didn't order before I went there on my phone. And I walked in and ordered at the counter and sat there and waited for the food. It was like 1970-something all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll say this. If you're going to lose your phone, if you're like me and you're a college football fan, Saturday's the best day to lose it. Because I watched all kinds of games yesterday, and nobody could reach me. So it was fantastic. Um, hey, will you stand with me? We're going we're gonna to dive into uh, Scripture this morning in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then we're going to drop down to verse 31. Listen to this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Father, we thank you for this truth, for this reality that we want to embrace this morning. But God, we don't want to just embrace this reality. We want to live it. We want to press into what you have made for your purpose, not simply for our own. And so I ask that your word would open our minds and our hearts to you today, that you would convict us of ways that you want us to live differently as a result of encountering you here this morning. And I just pray that if there's anything that's not the fullness of your truth, that it just hits this floor and stays in this space. But what is the fullness of your truth? Let it find root, good soil in our hearts, and let it yield fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So, one of the struggles with leaving my phone in Wichita is this, this thing kind of came up for me that I kind of struggle with, I think other people struggle with too. But I have a tendency to want to make things all about me. Now, when you don't have your phone in your hand and you're watching something and you don't have ready access to social media and you can't go in and express your opinions that everybody can hear, you start to realize wow, it's a little bit harder to make what I'm doing all about me because I can't communicate that with everybody. But I know I have a tendency to do that. I have a tendency to try to make everything all about me. You can call it pride. You can call it fallen nature. You can call it arrogance, whatever. It, you call it what you want, but it doesn't change the fact that I have a tendency to try to make myself significant, significant in my own power and my own standing. And I can trace it back to a moment. And it's a moment that I received an inheritance that I still live with. And that moment is in Genesis 3.5. Listen to this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the legacy I was born into. Now, before you start having a whole bunch of pity on me, I just want to point one thing out. That's the legacy that you were born into too. 
Look at Romans 5.12. Listen to this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And so it may show up for you as a tendency to make it all about yourself, may show up as something else altogether, but you still have the same legacy of sin. See, here's the thing. I know that it's not all about me, but I still try to make it all about me at times. And so what I need is a reorientation. I need a reminder, a renewal of my mind so that I can stop trying to make it all about me and let it be all about what it truly is all about. And so that's why we're looking at the next three statements of our faith this morning. It's our fifth, sixth, and seventh statement. If you're going online and you're reading our statements, which I encourage everybody to do, to read through those statements of faith. But these statements of faith are dealing with our beliefs about creation, about the fall of man and sin, about redemption, and about the final outcome of all of that. And so what I want you to see this morning is the ultimate purpose of these things. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, this is what creation and what we believe on creation. We believe on creation, what the Bible says on creation, it's in our statement of faith. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, try to convince you that everyone has fallen into sin. We all know that's true. We have evidence in the world that shows us that. But basically these statements of faith acknowledge that God is the creator of all things that man has fallen and we all have a sinful nature and need to be redeemed, that we are redeemed through Jesus Christ and we will be resurrected to the fullness of life. That's what those statements of faith are about. What I wanna do this morning is give you meaning and purpose in your actual life that comes from the reality and the truth of these statements of faith. And so what I want to do now is start with the purpose of creation. Why did God create human beings? Why did he create the world? Why did he create the universe? And to answer that, we got to go back to our text from this morning. We have to go back to Genesis 1.26. So verse uh, 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now just a sidebar here. If you notice... God refers to himself in the plural. And if you were here last week or you watched online last week when we talked about the Trinity, well, there's what you see is the Trinity in creation. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, all the active agents in creation. And so there's the Trinity. And if you notice, let's make man in what? In our image. And so what exactly does it mean that we're created in God's image? Well, in order to grasp that, you need to ask yourself, what's the purpose of an image to begin with? Well, an image is created to reflect the original. So an image is always created to reflect the original. God made human beings in his image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of his glory. That's our purpose. That's why creation matters. But here's the thing. His glory isn't limited just to human beings. It's in all of creation. So listen to this in Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Anyone who has breathed on this planet is without excuse to say, I have not seen God, I do not know God. They're without excuse to say God does not exist. You take that and you can say it in more general terms. The general terms in Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see it? The whole earth is full of his what? His glory. God made human beings in his image to reflect his glory. And not only that, he created everything to reflect his eternal power and his divine nature, to reflect his glory. And he accomplished that because Isaiah 6.3 says that the whole earth is already filled with what? His glory. So the point of all of creation is God's glory. So what's the purpose of creation? It's to show the glory of God. The glory of his image is in mankind. The glory of his eternal power and his divine nature is in everything that is made. The point of creation is clearly God's glory. That's the point of it. So when we say God has created man and he's created all things, why did he do that? For the purpose of his glory, to display his glory. But God's glory is not just the point of creation, it's the point of all of God's works too. See, there was a flying in the ointment of his glory and it showed up in Genesis 3, 5. Listen to verse five of chapter three of Genesis. For God knows, and this is Satan talking to Adam and Eve, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan knowing that God created all things for his glory, comes onto the scene and entices Adam and Eve to take God's glory for themselves. Which is exactly what Satan himself tried to do when he was cast out of heaven. And he enticed them with five simple little words. You will be like God. He entices them to make creation all about themselves instead of about God's glory. There is the distortion. The fundamental twist of everything that God made comes in in Genesis 3, 5 when Adam and Eve said, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. We can be like God. Let's have a snack and be like God. And so listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.23. He talks about this very thing. He talks about the idea of exchanging the glory of God for the images of mortal men themselves. So that idea of you will be like God, which I hate to admit, is exactly what I seek when I make it all about me, is the idea of exchanging the glory of God for an image of mortal man. Now here's the thing I know. Most of you are not gonna exchange the glory of God for the image of a man, but at times I can, so I do. See, the fall is Satan's attempt 
to rob God of his glory. That was the whole point of him coming into the garden in the first place, was to say, if I can entice you to take the glory of God upon yourselves, then I will rob God of his glory. So what does that mean for us? When I live as if it's all about me, not God's glory, I participate with Satan in trying to rob God of his glory. See, Satan knew that by getting his, the image bearers of God to live as if they are God instead of image bearers of God, that he could rob God of his glory. And guess what? Satan succeeded. He succeeded. We see that in the fall. We see that in the world around us, which means he's still succeeding today. Look around. Just take a moment and think about the world you live in. As this world, as human beings move towards absolute relativism in everything, what we see is that I, as a human being, can basically identify as the image bearer of anything I want except God. Because when I identify myself as the image bearer of God, the culture of relativism, of humanism, tells me, no, that's offensive. You can be the image of anything else, but don't stand and tell me you're the image of God. See, this normalizing of identity being in anything except Christ is actually the strategy of Satan that we see in Genesis 3. And it's a strategy to rob God of his glory by robbing God of his image bearers. And so when we live into that, I can be like God and make it all about me, I'm participating in the strategy of Satan to rob God of his glory. And this isn't anything new. It's the exact same enticement that Adam and Eve fell for. The fall is about glory being given, given to anyone but God. The fall is about finding a way to make yourself the focal piece, the centerpiece of glory. Listen to this in Ephesians 1, 4, 6, as we start to undo this problem that's in the world through Genesis 3, 5. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Catch this part in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. Now, so when did God choose us? He chose us before the foundation of the world, before creation, which if you remember, was all about God's glory. Creation is about the glory of God. We are chosen before creation. And what did he choose us for? To adopt us to himself as his children. And why did he choose us? To the praise of of his glorious grace, which he blessed us with in his beloved Jesus. So the fall, which was Satan's attempt to rob God of his glory by corrupting his image bearers, you and I, was actually made an occasion to praise the glory of God's grace. To put it more plainly, 
Look at Isaiah 43, 25. I, this is God talking. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Catch this. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. For my own sake. So the question you may be asking yourself is, am I really saying that God forgives us for his purpose, not ours? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. God forgives us for his glory. The same reason he created us. Big reminder that it's not about me. Never was. See, forgiveness in Christ was God's plan for displaying his glorious grace from before the foundation of the world so that we would have cause to praise his glorious grace. Because forgiveness is all about his glory. So what we're left with then is this. As we look at our statements of faith that deal with creation and the brokenness that came through the fall and redemption and resurrection, we're left with this. Creation is all about sharing God's glory. He made so that his glory would be shared. The fall is all about displaying God's glory. He saves so that his glorious grace would be praised. And redemption is the practical application of God's glory, which raises us up to new life in Christ. So underneath all of it, no matter what you might think about you in God's plan of creation and redemption and resurrection, underneath it all, we simply get that the purpose is God's glory. So creation, the fall, redemption, and resurrection are all about God's glory. Now, I know we've all heard the argument that if everything's about God's glory, well, doesn't that make God some kind of egocentric narcissist? You've heard that before, right? Why would I want to praise a God who only wants to be praised? That he thinks it's all about him. Well, indulge me for just a second. Imagine after church today you go out to eat and you're in a restaurant and you start choking. Now imagine there's a doctor sitting at the table next to you. And she notices that you're in distress and she springs into action and she does the Heimlich maneuver and she saves your life. How would you respond to her? I suspect that you'd probably be very willing to heap thanks on her. That you'd be praising her for her quick reaction and her willingness to use her knowledge and skills to save you. And if she accepted your thanks and your praise, would you think then immediately, wow, what an egotistical narcissist? No, you wouldn't. And why wouldn't you think that? Because you would know in that moment that she is worthy of all the praise and thanks you could give her for what she's just done for you. Does it make sense now? Does it make sense now why God should and can be jealous for his own glory? Does it make sense now why he would create and save and redeem and resurrect for his own glory? See, God is not an egotist or a narcissist because he is worthy of all the glory that we can give him and the rest of it that we can't. 
He's worthy of all of it. He's worthy of all the glory in creation because he is the only one who can create. He's worthy of all the praise of his grace because he is the only one who is grace. He's worthy of all the thanks that we can give him for forgiveness because he's the only one who can forgive. Listen, this might be a hard sentence to hear, but know this, it hurt me before it hurt you. The only time we are offended by God getting the glory of creation and redemption and resurrection is when we want it to be all about us and not him. That's the only time we're offended by that. I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm not trying to insult anyone's sensibilities around God being the purpose of all of it. I already told you that I make it all about me. But for those of us who still cling to some desire for it to be all about us at times, can I tell you that it will be all about you one day? One day it will be all about you. It just won't be in the way you think it will be. What I'm about to say, for those of us who, like me, still have that fallen desire to make it all about yourself, and that still flares up on occasion, what I'm about to say might be a source of freedom for you. We're going to look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So what does it mean to be raised with Christ? It means that I have been saved by him and I have adopted as my own the same faith that Jesus has in the Father. It means that I see the Father and relate to him the same way Jesus does because I've been brought into the Father's presence, into relationship with him through the sacrifice of Christ. So what does it mean to be raised up with Christ? It means that I now live the life Christ lived. So hang on to that as we look at verse two. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And so what does it mean to set my mind on the things above? Well, in the most basic terms, the things above are the glory of God. The glory of God that's been revealed in all of creation, that's been revealed in forgiveness from the fall, that's been revealed through redemption, that will be revealed for us and has been revealed to many that we love through the resurrection. So the glory of God is the thing above that I'm invited to set my mind on. It's everything. Everything that ever was, everything that ever will be, and everything that ever has been is the glory of God. So when I set my mind on the things above, I am making my life about the same thing that Jesus made his life about because I've been raised in him, which is God's glory. Now look at verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Died to what? Well, died to living for my own glory. I'm dead to that now. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I don't still try to revive that. It doesn't mean that I don't still sometimes lay on the floor and do chest compressions on my pride and my arrogance so that that all about me person will rise up again. I've died to living in the fallen desire to make myself my own God though. Because now when I try, I find I don't want it, but I still do it. That's Romans 7, right? I still do the very thing I don't want to do. But what makes it sad is that when I do the very thing I don't want to do, which is make things about me, I am trying to raise a dead person to life. And I can't do it. And so when I am dead, having died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God, then the reality of it is I am dead to this fallen nature of being all about myself. My life is hidden in Christ in the sense that I give God the Father all the glory, the same way Jesus gives God the Father all the glory. And now we get to verse four. This is the punchline for people like me who want it to be about them on occasion. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You also will appear with him in glory. Now isn't that something? Isn't that interesting? I spend my time trying to make it about me here, never realizing that if I would just die to that, live in Christ, then one day that very thing I irritate all of you by doing will be mine anyway in Christ. But don't cling to it so fast. See, God is worthy of all glory. He has created all things for his glory. He will redeem all things for his glory. He will raise those of us who are in Christ to new life for his glory. He forgives us for his glory. He adopts us for the praise of his glory. And then he says that when it's all said and done, I'm gonna bring you into my glory. I will display you in my glory. I will give you a home in my glory. God is all about his glory because he is worthy of all glory. And you being all about his glory is the most appropriate pursuit in your life because he is worthy of all glory. And he's the only one worthy of all glory, which means it's just that he gets all the glory. It's just that everything is about his glory. And then yet still, at the end of it all, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, he will draw us into the very glory of God, which we have no claim to, which we have no right to, which some of us like me have spent way more of our life than we should have trying to grasp now. And we will finally appear as we were before the fall, totally comfortable and accepting of the fact that the purpose of creation, forgiveness, redemption, resurrection, and even my very life is God's glory. We'll be redeemed from the fall and spend all eternity basking in God's glory as his own. And we will be in 
the very glory of God. Now, if you know that's coming, why would you fight to grab that now in some lesser form? It's like the little kid. We've all seen those studies, right? They put M&Ms on the table. You can have these five now or I'll give you a bag in 30 minutes. Well, I'm the kid that says, no, I want these five now. And then I approach God that way. God says, here's this glory. I'm going to bring you into my glory. You will be hidden with Christ in my glory and I will reveal you in my glory when he comes back. And I go, but these five M&Ms look really good. Can I just have them now? Can I just have those five M&Ms now? And we'll worry about all that later. See, here's the thing. If it's all about God's glory, if creation is all about God's glory, and forgiveness and redemption and resurrection are all about God's glory, and I choose to take that, those five M&Ms of my glory right now, guess what I'm not going to get? Glory. C.S. Lewis said, if you seek earth instead of heaven, you won't get either. But if you seek heaven instead of earth, you'll get both. That's what the invitation is in our statements of faith around creation and the fall and the resurrection and redemption is to seek heaven and find that we've been given everything. Because if it's outside of God, it's nothing. And so here's the thing. I'm not trying to convince you that it's in your best interest to live a life of glorifying God. That would be the exact opposite of what I'm saying. I'm not standing here and saying, hey, look, if you'll just live a life of glorifying God, the payout's going to be huge for you. There is a divine payout for living a life for glory of God. But that's not the point of this. I'm inviting you to live a life that's all about God's glory because it is the only appropriate response to a glorious God. Because he is the creator and the forgiver and the redeemer and the resurrector and the restorer. And he's the only one who's divine. He's the only one who's powerful. He's the only thing that is majestic. He's the source of all beauty. The only wise response to that is found in Ephesians 1.6. And that only wise and appropriate response is to praise the glory of his grace. And so I want to invite you into that very act as a practice this week. I want to invite you to open your eyes to see the glorious grace of God in your everyday life. To see it and to praise it. But don't just stop there. I want to invite you to actually be it. As image bearers of God, isn't that ultimately what we were made for? To be the glory of God in this fallen and despicable world, in this place where glory is so distorted that everybody's fighting for it, trying to find it in different ways, to be the image bearer of God in every situation by reflecting his glorious grace onto everybody you encounter. And you might be asking, well, how, how am I supposed to do that? Well, it really is simple. It's truly simple. You go back to the very beginning of all of this, the very beginning of all creation, and you live in all your relationships this week with the sense, with the understanding, it's not about me. 
It's not about you. It never was. And when you take something that never was and try to make it something that works for you, it never works. It falls short. It's not about you. Pay attention to your thoughts and your words this week. How often are your thoughts or your words self-focused instead of focused on the glory of God? How often do you think of what you want and what will bring you glory instead of what will glorify God? See, as you invite God the Spirit into showing you when you make it about yourself instead of His glory, I promise you, He will. If you would just say, Lord, show me in each moment when I make it about myself instead of about your glory, He will show you. I would go so far as to say that if you simply pray throughout your day this week, Spirit God, show me when I make it all about me instead of your glory, he might actually respond with, yes, finally. Finally. I've been trying to do this all along. You didn't want to hear it. That's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. We go to God and say, God, you search my heart. You show me where my anxieties lie. You show me the hurtful things that are in me. And you lead me in the way that's everlasting. See, this is no self-help program. If you try to do this as self-help, what you're going to end up with is a self that wants to glorify itself because it helped itself. But when we make this God's endeavor, you're not walking around going, look at all I've overcome. You're walking around in humility quietly living in God's presence in your heart and your mind constantly overwhelmed by the glory that is he in your transformation overwhelmed by the fact that he took the very thing you cannot find a way to lay down and he said if you let me have it I'll make it about my glory and you know what that does when that happens we stop hiding we stop hiding all the things in us that we know won't glorify us. The things that are there that we get dishonest with ourselves about and say, I gotta push this to the side. Nobody can see this because if they see it, I won't get any glory. And we actually go, no, I'm gonna put it out there. I'm gonna let people know it's here because God has redeemed me in this thing and now he can get glory from it. And you know what happens when we make everything about God's glory? We find ourselves living in a state of delight. Anybody want more of that? We live in a state of delight. We start to delight in God in ways that we've never experienced before. And that delight becomes contagious. Others get infected by our delight. They become inflamed for it themselves. And when we live lives that are all about God's glory, what happens in us is the gifts aren't the gifts anymore. The giver is. And we start to look around and we go, God, I see you glorious in these things that you're doing in my life. But it's not about those things you're doing, it's about you. And so the giver becomes the gift. And then the people who are living next to you as that delight becomes a flame and starts to glow, the people that are living next to you, they all start to say, I want that gift. And the only gift we have to offer is the giver himself. See, this is why our delight might be one of our best evangelism tools. 
We've all encountered people who are joyless, right? Misery. You know what's not an invitational environment? Hospitals. Have you noticed that? Nobody walks into a hospital and says, how do I get some of that? How do I get some of this pain and misery that you're having to go through right now? No. But delight is contagious. If our hearts become the home of delight because we're glorifying God in all things, everyone around us will go, I I need to be in there. I need to be in there. How do I get in? You want to reach the lost? You want to have your family and friends come to know Christ? Then live in the delight which comes from making it all about his glory and not about you. Father, we're so thankful and grateful that everything you've done is for your glory, God. And we know that the, the, the simplistic argument that, well, that sounds narcissistic, that only sounds narcissistic in human terms. In divine terms, it sounds appropriate. Knowing you and who you are it makes perfect sense that everything would be about your glory. So God, I pray that we become a people this week who seek to glorify you in everything. We become a people this week that recognize that you, the giver, are the gift in all things. That we become a people this week that find deep delight in your glory, your glory that's embedded in everything you've done from creation the final resurrection of all and that we live that way this week in that delight and that that delight becomes more contagious than anything that everyone who brushes up against us who breathes the same air we're breathing will be inflamed with a delight in you as the gift we ask that in Jesus name Amen